They called us monsters, so monsters we became. We are monsters out of the closet. I'm Nicole. I'm Dara. And I'm Shreya. It should come as no surprise that Halloween is our favorite time of year. The dramatic costumes, the spooky theatrics, the unifying forces of joy, and a deep-seated desire to cause chaos. Is it any wonder that this holiday, so grounded in hiding one's identity, has such potential to reveal our true inner selves? Join us for our annual Halloween extravaganza, where we take a peek beneath the mask and reveal the true shape of the being underneath. Whether we drape ourselves in a simple bedsheet or create an intricate disguise, the costumes we wear for Halloween carry the weight of an identity assumed and the freedom of an identity lost. In Victoria Black's Morton Street, we see what chaos can ensue when the mask becomes the monster. This piece features Sarah Wheatley as the narration, Kiki Gongluski as the voice of Molly, Victoria Black as Jen, Troy H. Gardner as Tyler, Kim Schmidt as Kayla, Meredith Katz as Tanya, B as Danielle, and Kimberly Evans as Mrs. Barnett. There was no response to the doorbell, even though light shone from every window of the house. Molly shifted her plastic sword from one hand to the other. Maybe no one's home, Jen. We just saw them. They opened the door for the group in front of us. Maybe we're not good enough. Jen cast a sharp glance at her sister. Sure, a younger kid might have said that, but Molly had recently been nurturing a harder girl-versus-world mentality than the usual 13-year-old. They're probably just going to the bathroom or something. We can wait. This house gives out the best. The door ripped open, backed by a crippling roar. Jen and Molly screamed as a tall, hulking werewolf towered over them, with its arms forward and claws out, reaching. Molly backed away and fell off the porch. A cascade of laughter echoed from the driveway. Jen turned around to see a gang of middle school zombies, all clutching candy bags and giggling. Good one, huh? Jen turned back around. The werewolf removed its head to reveal a boy from her pre-calc class. Oscar-worthy. I never knew you had it in you, Tyler. So is there candy or not? Tyler shrugged and brought out the legendary candy bowl. Before Jen could reach for the chocolate bars, the middle school zombies rushed the porch, crowding her out of the way as they yelled in delight and grabbed the candy. In the process, Molly was knocked over again as she tried to stand up. The zombies stampeded past her as they headed toward the next house. One girl hung back to kick the plastic sword out of Molly's reach. Didn't Frodo have a ring? She skipped off to rejoin her friends. Someone made a joke, spawning another round of laughs. Tyler squinted at Molly as Jen helped her up. Aren't you Link? Why did she say Frodo? Yes, she's Link. Thanks for the candy. 
She grabbed a handful of chocolate bars from the bowl and shoved them into her bag, then hustled Molly away from the house. Hey, Molly. Was that Kayla? Molly kept her eyes on the ground. Yes. You said she wasn't going out tonight. No response. Jen grabbed her shoulders and turned her so that they stood face to face. Molly. We're not friends anymore. Molly jerked herself out of Jen's grasp and set off for the next house. Jen knew the owners, a quiet couple that liked to get festive for the more offbeat holidays. They had decorated heavily for Halloween, with fake tombstones scattered across the lawn and cobwebs strewn all around the house. A green light glowed from the porch, bathing the entire scene in an otherworldly glow. The spookiest part about the house, however, was the cluster of grinning jack-o'-lanterns on the front porch. One of them hadn't been lit, and its darkness stood out in the midst of its brethren's candlelight. Molly marched up to the front door and pushed the doorbell without taking in any of the decor. Jen stayed a step behind her. What happened with Kayla? We're just not, okay? Sometimes people don't stay friends. Don't stay friends? Don't they usually say trick-or-treat? A woman stood in the doorway, looking Molly up and down. After the obligatory greetings and surrender of candy, the woman looked over her shoulder and beckoned to someone in the living room, just out of view. Come here, Tanya. Was there a time when we said we'd never be friends again? Oh, it was horrible. I never thought I'd see my Danielle again. Oh, too bad we did, huh? The rising despair on Molly's face spurred Jen into action. Well, thanks for the candy. Oh, we missed one of the jacks. Grab the matches, will you? Sorry, did you say something? Oh, nothing. Just enjoy the rest of your evening. It's not the same. Tanya and Danielle are in love. It's meant to be. Molly set off across the lawn, weaving through the fake tombstones and wraiths hanging from the outstretched branches of the willow tree. Jen followed a step behind. Molly, if you just tell me what happened. Her foot collided with a tombstone, sending a large stuffed bat toppling onto the grass. I told you, I don't want to- Something dark flew past her, right in front of her face. What was that? Jen looked down at the grass. The stuffed bat had disappeared. Nothing. Come on. Let's go. They continued down the street in silence, stopping at each house for candy with a mechanical efficiency that would have gotten them across nearly two neighborhoods if they kept up the pace. Molly refused to look at Jen. Not even when the little old lady in the corner house exclaimed over their matching Link and Lara Croft costumes. Mrs. Barnett usually made them laugh together, but Molly stared straight ahead with no recognition of the irony, or even the sweetest granny on the planet dressed up as a vampire. Thanks, Mrs. Barnett. Of course, dear. And tell your mother that I said... Mrs. Barnett's face distorted into a twisted grimace her eyes flashing a dark red magnified by her large, thick glasses. And then, 
Mrs. Barnett growled in a way that no little old lady should growl. Jen glanced at Molly. She had noticed the transformation, at least. But she remained frozen in place, her eyes wide with terror. The jack-o'-lantern on the porch chuckled. <laughs> Jen grabbed Molly's hand and ran. The night sky was dotted with glowing green and purple lights. Morton Street had erupted in chaos. Bats swooped overhead. Jack-o'-lanterns called out ominous threats. Ghosts wove around and through children and parents, howling in glee at their victims' shocked reactions. Superheroes battled villains and each other. Doctors ran around helping the wounded. Princesses rescued firefighters. Worst of all, zombies wandered the street. Too many zombies. What the hell? It was too bad she hadn't turned into her own Lara Croft costume. A British accent and an inexplicable knowledge of martial arts would be pretty useful right about now. Oh no. Jen followed her line of vision and caught sight of a familiar horde. Real, actual, middle school zombies. It was even worse than middle schoolers dressed up as zombies. Kayla's new group of friends moved slowly but steadily, pausing to inspect fallen bodies and moving on to living targets, all while moaning at distorted pitches that made Jen's stomach twist. It's okay. Just don't let them get close enough to smell you. Molly buried her face in her hands. This cannot be happening. First the locker room, and now... Wait. What happened in the locker room? Nothing. Then why are you upset about it? It doesn't matter, okay? I don't want to talk about it. We're kind of in the middle of a zombie apocalypse right now. Jen pulled Molly between two houses, out of sight from the street. I don't care that the world might be ending. What happened? Molly said nothing, looking anywhere but her sister. An explosion rocked the street, followed by a chorus of howls. You're making me think they pushed you into a locker or hit you with a golf cart or, I don't know, murdered someone? Can you please just tell me so I don't keep imagining the worst? She found out. Found out what? You know. Oh, Jen did know. She said she couldn't stand being around me, wondering all the time if I secretly wanted to make out with her. So, we aren't friends anymore. Is that all? I don't want to talk about it. It's okay. You'll survive. Molly threw up her hands and strode towards the open street. <laughs> How would you know? It's never happened to you. Who knows if we'll even survive this? The street was a Halloween war zone. Jen caught sight of a werewolf, Tyler probably, stalking a little girl wearing a red cloak. Her fingers itched, but when she touched the holsters on her thigh, they were empty. It wasn't a good idea to wander among children with anything that even remotely resembled a gun, but damn if she wasn't wishing for a good pair of pistols at that very... Jen had never held a gun in her life. She didn't know who was thinking those thoughts, but she had a pretty good idea. Molly! Her sister stood in a sea of broken flower pots and scattered jewels, scanning the street with her sword in hand, as if she was trying to decide where to engage. 
Jen ran up to her and grabbed her shoulders, but Molly struggled against her grip. Oh, hell. Link! Molly paused. I know this sounds weird, but you're not you. Huh? Oh, bloody hell, I mean, we're cursed! Didn't she have a flight to catch for somewhere exotic? Probably with a long-forgotten cursed temple? Molly stared at her blankly. This isn't Hyrule, and you're not Link. Mol- Damn it, Molly, can you hear me? Molly whirled around and punched a zombie in the jaw. The remaining horde surrounded them, groaning. She seemed fully prepared to fight them, all of them. But Jen was uneasy without her weapons, which she didn't have because she was a teenager. Damn it. Link! When Molly looked back, Jen socked her in the side of the head, just hard enough to give her a good shake. Ow! What was that for? Did you realize what you were doing? Well, you were just standing here, and those things are... Oh my god. Molly looked around. This is wrong. All of this is wrong. Behind her, zombie Kayla slowly advanced. Uh, Molly. About Kayla. Oh my god, Jen. Can you just shut up about it? This is either I really messed up Candy Corn Dream, or we're about to die, and you're still hounding me about this? Molly. How many times do I have to say I don't want to talk? Molly. You always want to have a serious discussion about my life and- Molly! What? Molly swung around and screamed as she came face to face with what her best friend had become. She lunged forward with her sword in both hands and sliced off Kayla's head. A blinding green light exploded outward and a humming noise rose around them, drowning out Molly's shrieks and the groans of the other zombies and the clashes of other fights in the street. Jen saw nothing, heard nothing. It was over. Jen turned around as the light gave way to the familiar shapes of the houses on Morton Street. Many superheroes and princesses gleefully grabbed candy and ran away from Tyler in his werewolf costume. He waved to Jen before going back into his house. She shook her head and looked around. Molly stood in the middle of the street, staring at her plastic sword. That wasn't real, right? You tell me. Are you okay? She watched the familiar group of middle school zombies approach Tanya and Danielle's house. It's fine. I'll survive. After the group moved on, Danielle stayed on the front porch and blew out the jack-o'-lantern's candles. When she finished, she turned and gave Jen a wink. Up next in our Halloween special is Mason Hawthorne's Bin Night, an audio play that follows a great wizard's dramatic confrontation with his longtime rival. Or so he thinks. This piece features Rachel Shaw as the narrator, Mason Hawthorne as the voice of Antonio, Eric Little as Dan, and J.M. Dow as Frank Patrick.
Antonio Sorello Triburello della Capello più grande, the great wizard of the Illawarra, burst out of his front door and stood on his veranda. Frank Patrick, you bastard! His three beards are tossed back into his face by the stiff southerly kicking up from the beach. I see you there, Frank Patrick. He lopes off through his garden, lifting his bony knees high, his dressing gown loose and flapping behind him. He topples over his half-height garden fence and crosses a blue streak as his slipper-clad foot slips half out and into a patch of bindies thriving along the fence line in the empty lot beside his property. Stumbling and hobbling through the untrimmed weeds and tumbled stones, Antonio hurries toward the shadowy figure he'd spied from his kitchen window while he was making a cup of tea during the ad break of the episode of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire that he had taped the night before while he was busy at his weekly Country Wizards Association meeting. Just as he's about to yell again at Frank Patrick, Antonio stops short, finger already jabbing into the air, mouth wide. The silhouette hunched over a thick patch of dandelions is taller than he should be, his hair is too short and too sticky-uppy, and he has neither the impressive, though singular, beard of Antonio's rival, nor the heavy staff that Frank Patrick habitually carries. In fact, the silhouette looks almost exactly nothing like dear enemy Frank Patrick, and that somewhat takes the wind out of Antonio's sails. You there! Are you an emissary of the vile Frank Patrick? Uh, no. I'm Dan. Emissary of, uh, Dan. Antonio wasn't expecting Dan, emissary of Dan, to be lurking in the weeds in the vacant lot beside his property, and so he's somewhat taken aback by this development. You know Frank Patrick? Um, nope. Are you sure? Pretty sure. You're not lurking here with nefarious intent? I was just picking dandelions, dude. I'm a powerful wizard, you know. Okay. You may have heard of me. Antonio Sorello Trevorello della Capello, più grande the Grand Wizard of the Illawarra. No need to fear, young Dan. Antonio puffs out his chest and realises, belatedly, that he's left his bucket hat hanging on the hook by his front door, and currently the moonlight must be shining off the top of his scalp, which is beginning to feel very cold. Oh, okay. I'm just Dan. I was out here just collecting some dandelions. Maybe some thistle. Later I'm going to yell at the moon a bit. Dan's shadow cranes upward, looking to the sky, and he rustles the bag he carries with its trove of dandelion greens. Yell at the moon? What on earth for? Antonio wonders if the young fellow is quite right in the head. Running around yelling at celestial bodies is no way for a wizard to be getting on. It's undignified and unsophisticated. Well, for curses sometimes, or for charging magic rocks. Magic rocks? Yeah, magic rocks, for healing and good luck and stuff. Healing and good luck and stuff? Yeah. Healing and good luck and stuff aren't the realm of wizardry. Antonio jabs a finger at the shadow of Dan and shakes his head, tossing his three beards and his grizzled white mane around. Oh, I'm a hedge witch, I guess. Or I'm learning that stuff. A hedge witch?! Young man, you're no hedge witch. Well, not yet, but I'm learning. Never fear. From this night forward, you shall be my apprentice. Antonio reaches out and his hand closes on a lightweight knit fabric covering a bony shoulder. Dan jerks back, no doubt in awe of the impressive personage now condescending to take him on in the matter of magical learning. I mean, 
I appreciate the offer, but... Come now, my boy. No need to be shy. It's long since time that I should take on an apprentice. You know, my foul enemy was a Frank Patrick, the so-called High Wizard of the South Coast and Southern Highlands, has been training a girl in his squalid arts for the better part of two years. He strokes one of his three beards thoughtfully and imagines himself and his new apprentice delving deep into the arcane mysteries, making great discoveries on the nature of magic, and really showing up all the blowhards at the biannual wizarding symposium up in the city. Okay then, what are your squalid arts? I mean, what am I going to be learning? I'll have you know that I study only the deepest mysteries, the most subtle workings of the lay magics, and the finest vibrations of the seven planes of reality. With a flourish, Antonio tosses his hands skyward, and though it's a cheap trick, lets a shower of sparks fly from his fingertips. Uh, so what are you studying at the moment? The quality of light. Antonio peers into the darkness, trying to make out the expression on Dan's face. In the dim cast of the moon, he can't see anything. Young Dan seems to be little more than a shadow on the night. Or maybe Antonio needs to have his eyesight retested. You see, I am certain that light in its essence forms a wave pattern, which is of vital importance in comprehending the vast mysteries of the hermetic orders that have been passed down to me through visions and various occult writings. But what's that used for? I mean, one time I was yelling at the moon and a sprite gave me a protection charm in exchange for being quiet and going away. Do you make charms? Antonio dismisses the talk of sprites and charms with a shake of his three-bearded head. My nemesis was a Frank Patrick is a materialistic fool, however. He insists on speaking about light as a series of particles. Why, at the last symposium unfortunate enough to suffer his attendance, he attempted to assert that- It's both, though? What? Light? It's both a wave and a particle? That's not magic, that's physics. Listen here, young Dan. I'm sure that you're a precocious lad, but in matters of the arcane, you really should defer to those who are more worldly and experienced. Antonio is trembling with rage, and maybe a little from the icy edge to the southerly, which is really starting to pick up and whipping his three beards and his long hair into its face. You're not educated. You're unenlightened. And I don't blame you for your ignorance, but you should learn to be more humble. Listen. Dan says, backing away, his sack of dandelion greens in hand. I appreciate the offer, but... I've got to get these back to Kelsey. She's gonna teach me how to summon imps, and then we'll watch in my kitchen rules. But I'll, like, check out your books or whatever sometime? Just hit me up on Facebook. Now you listen here! But before Antonio could give Dan something to listen to, Dan hoisted the sack onto a shadowy shoulder, sucked in a gasp of air like he was about to dive into deep water and dissolved into a swarm of tiny black insects which flew up, up and away, carrying the sack with them. Scowling, Antonio watches the swarm and its sack fly away into the night. He raises a fist to shake at them, and then has to pick his way back across the uneven ground of the vacant lot, swearing and groaning at the rocks that turn his ankles and the thorns that prick him, and the bindies that lodged in his foot and have now stuck into the fluffy lining of his slippers. Hi Tony! 
Ah, was I? You bastard. I suppose that was one of your minions. Oh no, never met him before. But he seems like a bright kid. Well, shut your face, was I, Frank Patrick? Across the street, Antonio can see the crystal ball on the end of Wes's stupid staff glowing. You want a bit of light over there? Looks like you're struggling. No, I'm doing just fine. I don't need your help, Frank Patrick. And then his foot lands in the middle of a thistle clump and he howls in pain. And a moment later, a ball of light is hovering over him. And he scuttles back to his fence and tumbles over it into his garden. The light wheels around above him for a few seconds more and then zips away across the street back into Frank Patrick's staff. Typical. What was that? I said it's typical. You've come out here only to mock me, Frank Patrick. I came to put the bins out. It's Tuesday. Antonio flaps a dismissive hand and stomps onto his veranda. He slams the front door shut and spends a while picking the bindies and thorns out of his feet and peering through the glass to make sure that Frank Patrick is safely back in his own house across the street before he hurries back out, grabs his wheelie bin from the side yard and pushes it out to the gutter. It takes him a second in the moonlight to make out the yellow recycling lid sitting in front of Frank Patrick's as well, and he quickly puts it out and then shuts himself in his house for the night, fuming. Our final piece. A Night Called Halloween was composed and sung by Darius James, inspired by his experiences behind the scenes of a haunted house. Enjoy this perfectly spooky number and allow it to set your mood for this festive evening. Scattered near and far 
they're closing in Forgive me for my sins You can run, you can hide Cause they're calling You're trapped in your grave When you fall Quicksand is locked in my feet They've got me Chilling anthems, after-hours encounters, haunting melodies, and trick-or-treat battle scenes are our humble tribute to a spooktacular season. But don't worry, listeners. The thrills and terror will continue after this happy Halloween. Thanks again to Darius James, Mason Hawthorne, and Victoria Black for their contributions to this episode, and to Rachel Shaw, Eric Little, J.M. Dow, Sarah Wheatley, Kiki Gongleski, Troy H. Gardner, Kim Schmidt, Meredith Katz, B. and Kimberly Evans for their performances. Additional music and sounds were by Eric Matias, Blue Dot Sessions, and Poolside. To learn more about our pieces, artists, and readers, please visit our website, monstersoutofthecloset.com. Big thanks to our patrons and supporting producers, Lindsay Holt, Sarah Lopez, and Lourdes Kaland, who have carried us through two whole seasons, and to you, dear listeners, who keep warm the spirits behind the masks. In this spookiest of months, we are hoping to raise enough funds to compensate additional guest producers and editors. We could really use your support to create a fantastic season three. Our next episode, Wild will be released in November. In the meantime, 
stay up to date with podcast news, submission calls, and our mods going absolutely feral at monstersoutofthecloset.tumblr.com and at pod underscore monsters on Twitter. Before we go, we have a special announcement. Supporting producer Dara Rangan has joined our team as a full-time producer. Expect to see some changes to our website, both to reflect this change to our lineup and to unveil some things that have been in the works for the past year. Thanks again to all of you listeners for your support. We couldn't have made it to our third Halloween without you. Until next time, Monsters out. <laughs>